census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Twenty-four of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host Patrick Ray. Hope you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are here in the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee and the Dorkening Podcast Network. And uh, I, of course, am not here on my own. I am joined by my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. <gasps> she is. I did the gasp first. See, this is what happens when we don't use the sleep. She is. <gasps> The Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Queen Regent of Rosé. She is the Michael Phelps of wine. She is the Queen of the Monsters, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, and an Honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes One Nightmare. Uh, taffeta, darling. Taffeta, sweetheart. No, the material. It's taffeta. I still don't know what that means. but It's a type of, like, taffeta. It's a material. That doesn't that wrinkles. Like, that really doesn't like. It's like, it's like. Oh, I don't know what taffeta is. Oh, it's it's a it's a, a type of material named taffeta. Oh, okay, yeah, that clears it up. A, that's that's more than you'll ever need to know. That's super helpful. So uh, we are happy to have uh, ourselves back for this week's episode. Uh, last week we were on vacation. We weren't able to get a, an episode up, and. Um, we are uh, very excited to be talking about this this uh, this character this week because this is something that you know we like to do every year. Like we like to start spooky season whenever the hell we feel like it. So we start it up whenever we want. And if you uh, pay attention to Shark Bites, uh, you know a couple of years ago I did a series of Mel Brooks films, uh, but somehow we didn't cover this one. So this week we're going to be talking about. Uh, 1974's Young Frankenstein, uh, and I'm very excited about that because this is one of the best. And when we play the trailer in a little while, uh, the best part about the trailer that I found is that it's narrated by Mel Brooks. It's awesome. Uh, and there's a couple of... Uh, I'm going to have to see if we can track this down somehow, but there are some lines of dialogue now, if you're a Mel Brooks fan, you know that his movies are incredibly quotable. But there were some lines of dialogue that I'd never heard before. And I've seen this movie a thousand times, which I thought was very interesting. Now, we, we hadn't watched this movie in nearly a year. And I remember the last time we watched this movie. Um, but what did you... what? Why did we decide that we wanted to cover these, this character? Well, because a couple of weeks ago, 
Uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Creatures of the Night, it's the Boulet Brothers podcast. They do a film review every episode, or almost every episode, and sometimes it's a new release, and sometimes it's something that either they haven't seen in a while, or maybe it might be a new watch or something. Um, and they, they covered Young Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein. Uh, and I was just, it was just kind of like a light bulb moment because we have not covered any of these characters on this show. And Young Frankenstein is, like Patsy said, just one of those films that is so unbelievably easily quotable. Like it's just, it's, it's abnormal. Abby something. Abby someone. Abby. Um, yeah, that's... yeah. so that I was, I was like, oh my god, we have to cover these characters because we haven't done it before, and I can't believe we haven't done it before. Um, now, Patsy, what was the first Mel Brooks film that you saw? Oh, this was it. This oh, was this it. One. I watched, oh, wow. I watched okay. it with okay. my dad uh, in the mid-80s. Mid I remember being maybe six, seven years old. Of course, I didn't get half of the uh, references, you know. But, you know, with my dad quoting it the whole time, like, that to me was funny, and, like, that's what I was used to. I was used to dad quoting movies all the time, you know, and I would try to do the same thing, and I wouldn't always get the the lines correct, um, but now it's a little different where I almost do it, you know, word for word. And sometimes on movies we haven't seen yet, I still can guess what the dialogue coming up is going to be. But, yeah, this is one, because uh, my mom used to work... Um, like third shift, like two to 10 and, you know, dad worked normal nine to five hours. So we would come home, we'd have a babysitter for a couple hours from say like two to five, five thirty, whenever dad got home and, you know, we'd eat dinner. We'd usually watch like Alf and family ties and whatnot. And then, you know, dad would watch a movie while waiting for mom. And, you know, I remember this being on and I remember it being in black and white, but like we had been exposed to a lot of like, I don't want to say like a lot of horror, but like we had watched some of the old black and white Frankenstein movies and we had watched some of the old like universal stuff, you know, a lot of Godzilla. Um, and of course, I've told the story a hundred times about how we used to rent the making of Thriller all the time. And that was kind of our, our gateway drug to horror. Um, because it was, you know, we were very young, but we were also like kind of seeing behind the curtain, seeing how the sausage is made, so to speak. So it wasn't as scary to us because you got to see like, you know, here's the clip from the from the video of him turning into a werewolf. And it's like, here's the behind the scenes practical effects with like little air bladders that they, you know, were, were pushing under his skin to like make the skin bubble and writhe and boil. Um that I always thought was really, really cool. Um, you know, and then seeing the monster squad, you know, right around the same time as we saw this, you know, and my parents were not shy about letting us watch these Mel Brooks movies, you know, cause I remember shortly after that, you know, 1987 is, is Spaceballs, And I remember renting that all the time. And like, that was super funny. But for you, know, like me and my brother as young kids, it was more funny because like everybody's running around so you know i'm surrounded by assholes like that to me was super funny because they just kept saying assholes over and over again and we would laugh like 
sometimes we'd laugh because our parents would laugh because we just didn't understand the adult humor. But certain shit, like, really is applicable to all audiences, even if it's just, I heard some naughty language, you know, the guy in the desert, we ain't found shit, like, that's funny. (laughs) And then we had watched a lot of the Police Academy movies, so seeing Michael Winslow doing all the sound effects, you're like, whoa, that's so cool, you know? So, yeah, this this would be the first. How about you? Uh, So... My first time watch for this film, um, sadly to say, wasn't until we watched it for the first time together. Oh, wow. Uh, several, it, it was a while ago, but um, no, the first Mel Brooks film I saw was Spaceballs. And that was the, I, I'm not quite sure if my dad was into any of the other Mel Brooks. Blazing Saddles, I know. Bla- uh, I I know he he liked that film. Um, I still have not seen that though. That was one of the ones where it's like, no, you can't watch this. Uh, but Spaceballs definitely. I used to watch it with him. And again, like you said, it was uh, didn't necessarily pick up on some of the uh, nuances and stuff until I got a little bit older. But you know, uh, just certain things that were just so silly. You couldn't help but laugh. And then, you know, laughing because your parents are laughing. And it's like, oh, I'm supposed to be laughing right now. Ha ha, that's funny. I have no idea what's going on. But, you know, there's a guy in a really big helmet saying things. Well, I mean, I was familiar with Star Wars-ish. So I kind of got Star Wars and Star Trek. So I I got the references. Yeah, I I wasn't familiar with Star Trek at the time. But definitely familiar with Star Wars because those are other films that I had watched with my dad. Um, yeah, but I w- didn't really like gain much exposure to the world of, of Mel Brooks and his films and the vast catalog that is, you know, what he's done, what he's written and directed and ultimately been a part of, you know, acted in and stuff. Um, you know, not until I was in my 20s, I want to say. You know, uh, I we did cover a little bit. I took a mass media course in high school, and that really kind of facilitated my love of of film and um, wanting to make film versus just like act. Because I, I had already been bit by the acting bug, like at a very young age. Um, I just I just want to entertain. Uh, but but yeah, so um, you know, it wasn't until then, and then, uh, like I said, in my early twenties, I kind of watched some more of his stuff. And there are still things I have not seen that I I need to I need to get on that, like Blazing Saddles. But you know, Spaceballs holds a special place in my heart, and we've already talked about those characters on this show um, because it's nostalgia. It's me sitting on the couch watching it with my dad, you know, and again, not understanding every single joke, but thinking it was silly and just having a really good time, you know, watching a movie with him. But um, I think, though, that Young Frankenstein may be my favorite Mel Brooks film. And Mel Brooks thinks the same. Like, he says that Young Frankenstein is uh, the best film he's ever made. Not the funniest, but the best overall film he's ever made. I think that makes a lot of sense because, like, they went and they did a lot of really... uh 
A lot of in-depth research. Well, like we'll get into, we'll yeah, get into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk about that. But you know, our getting into character question for today, because Young Frankenstein is a parody film, it's an homage to some of this classic, you know, the classic Universal monster films that we love so much. Um, we want to know what is or what are some of your favorite parody films. So for me, obviously, you know, the Mel Brooks stuff, you know. And a lot of times his movies would come out when, not necessarily when other stuff was popular, but like certainly Robin Hood, uh, Men in Tights, absolutely shredded, uh, you know, the Prince of Thieves movie with Kevin Costner and Alan Rickman, because if you watch it, like his Robin somebody the guy who plays the sheriff of Rottingham is a thousand percent a ripoff of Alan Rickman's character. And like the whole opening where they're like, you know, shooting the arrows and the flames are, are doing the credits. And the guy's like, every time they do a Robin Hood movie, they burn our village down. And they're all like, leave us alone, Mel Brooks. Like that whole thing is amazing. Like, fighting little john in the river and little john drowning like that is like he does a lot of films that are uh parodic and satirical but like that one in particular robin hood men in tights was in direct response like most of the time it's not like oh i'm making a movie and it's it's almost like weird al parodying a song like, it's the same beat, the same rhythm, the same cadence. Like, he's just changing the words around. That's kind of what Mel Brooks did to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh, like, there's even that line. It's like, Maid Marian is, is the young lady whose heart you stole, you Prince of Thieves, you. Like, that whole thing. And <laughs> the Carrie Elway's line, because unlike some other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent because that was one of the big things about Costner is he didn't use an English accent. Like the uh, Morgan, and if this is all off the top of my head, uh, Morgan Freeman's character, I believe was named Aziz and uh, in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, I mean, uh, the Prince of Thieves and Isaac Hayes is named a sneeze and his son is a chew, which they turned into several Jew jokes, you know, or like a chew, bless you. And like, they're beating the shit out of him. Like, you know, like that whole thing to me was that might be the best parody because it's a direct response to something. Obviously like Frankenstein came out in the thirties, you know, that wasn't a, uh, a specific response, you know, 46 years later or 40 years late, 40 plus years later was not a direct response to, to Frankenstein, nor was Spaceballs a direct response to Star Wars or Star Trek. You know, he just kind of combined the two of them along with Planet of the Apes, like just making fun of the sci-fi genre, um, just in general, um, you know, Blazing Saddles. Yeah, Westerns were popular around the time that he was doing it. You know, and that one was... Go back and get a shitload of dimes. Like, that whole thing. And 
Mel Brooks is, you know, we were talking about this, you know, when we see certain directors, Christopher Nolan, David O. Russell, Quentin Tarantino, they work with the same actors over and over and over and over and over and over again. Mel Brooks does that to an extent, but he keeps his cast fresh because I think you need to have the right balance. Like no one else could have played uh, Frederick Frankenstein the way Gene Wilder did. But Gene Wilder was also amazing as the Waco kid in Blazing Saddles. Um, having, you know, Mel Brooks himself in most of his movies as well doesn't hurt. But the same thing with uh, Madeline Kahn. Having Madeline Kahn in Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Like, they use the same crew almost back to back. I thought that was great. So those... The, I know I'm rambling about Mel Brooks, but go ahead. Um, so when I think of parody film, the first thing that comes to mind is like the the not like the scary movie films, like the the whole like they came out in what like the early late '90s, early 2000s, like the Broken Lizard Club Dread thing. Kind, kind yeah, kind of like that. Like um, you know, not a, another teen movie or something like that. Um, but there's somebody who, you know, aside from Mel Brooks, who I think did it really well. And that's Edgar Wright with the Cornetto trilogy. My favorite of those being Shaun of the Dead. See, and I think it's part parody and part homage. Well, and I think that, again, that's why the Mel Brooks films work so well, is because, again, part parody, but part homage. The difference, the only difference I would say is Edgar Wright gives you so many, like, little hints to, like, where the inspiration for, like, Shaun of the Dead, like, the restaurant they eat at is Fulci's. Like, it's a throwaway thing. You know, and obviously Lucio Fulci was a an, an influential director of horror films, especially zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the uh, you know listening to the the radio broadcast talking about a satellite crashing down, like that's the premise for the infection in 1968's Night of the Living Dead. Like, there's all these little nods. Mel does that more um, visually. Like, it's more subtle. Like, um, again, with, with Frankenstein, Gene Hackman's character or the uh, the little girl when they're throwing flowers into the... or flower petals into the lake. And they're like, what should we look... What should we throw in next? And if you've read the story, he throws the little girl into the well and kills her. And that's why the villagers go after him. And he just kind of, like, looks at the camera... And, like, it's a different time now because it's almost 50 years later. So people aren't going to get that reference unless they're familiar with the modern Prometheus. You know what I mean? Like, but, yeah, it's parodic, but Edgar Wright does it in a much different way. And same with, like, Hot Fuzz. You know, it's a it's a riff on all of these, you know, action films that came out primarily like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. Um, you know, the, the, all these those cop action, dramas. Yeah, uh, of the, Bad of the Boys, 90s. Point yep. Break, yep. which they directly 
mentioned by name and then referenced in the same scene. Right. And then you have um, The World's End, mm-hmm. which is the third installment, which in my opinion is the weakest of yeah. the three. Um, you know, you can debate which one's Speaking better. Speaking again about... Directors that work with the same crew over and over again. You know, Martin Freeman, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, Bill Nye, all in all three of them. Right, right. Um, Steve Coogan. But then you have the third one that kind of riffs on some of these like alien science fiction yeah. films. Which he then um, did again with Paul. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, it's but like stuff that, that he one didn't... was not as strong. Whereas well, I, think I think the Cornetto trilogy is like they are like direct, you know, parody well, homages to these films. I think Paul is kind of like, oh wait, I meant, you know, like you're having a conversation with somebody, like, oh wait, I forgot to tell you about this, and like Paul is the leftover conversation that didn't get brought up in The World's End. You know what I mean? Like, because those could, again, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg are the central characters and they're dealing with aliens. So it's almost like it's, it feels like stuff that got cut out of the world's end and made into its own movie. Yeah, kind of like, you know, this stuff doesn't necessarily fit, but we can put it all together and make something else with it. Um, You know, kind of like recycling your leftovers. I get it. Yeah. You know. Um, But yeah, I think think those three films, or I should say the two films in particular, are just absolutely... There's so many... Brilliant. And so many... Especially Shaun of the Dead, being a horror fan. I I love zombie films so much. Um, You know, all of the little, little, little nuances. It's just subtleties. Yeah, the subtleties are... are, You have to watch them with the zombometer... Like if you have the DVD or the Blu-ray, you have to put on the Zombo meter or the Fuzzo meter because it will explain the different references. Because there's always certain things. It's like, what is that? Like when they're talking in Hot Fives, they're like, oh yeah, you know, they found him in Callahan Park. Callahan Park, Dirty Harry Callahan. You know, they're talking about Sergeant Plopwell, which is the name of the actor who was in the beginning of the Dirty Harry film. Where he's like, did I fire all six bullets or only five? Like, that's the guy he's talking to. The actor's name is Popwell. Like, those are the type of deep cuts that he does. Where, like I was saying with with Mel, it's, this is a source material. Are you familiar with the source material? We're going to kind of riff on that. Mm-hmm. So it's still funny, even if you don't... Like, Gene Wilder, if you had no idea about him meeting the blind friar... If you had no idea about that, like I did when I was a kid, it's still funny as hell because of everything that goes on. He's like, here, let me give you some soup. Here, let's have some wine. Look what I have next. Cigars. Like, that whole scene is fucking hilarious. And you don't need... And that's a good parody. Even if you don't know what the source is, like what they're referencing, what they're talking about, it's still funny because they present it. It's a wink and a nod to the people who know what you're referencing. Like with us, when we watch Shaun of the Dead, we get these references to, you know, like, oh, they originally thought the virus was from rage-infected monkeys, but that was turned out to be bullshit. Like, that whole thing. Like, that's mm-hmm. brilliant. And I will say that uh, one thing that Edgar Wright does that 
Mel Brooks does not do is he will choreograph the entire film right at the beginning and he's going to tell you everything that's going to happen. Like the characters' names rhyme with their fate. You know, like what, you know, when Liz dumps Sean, the conversation that he and Nick have at the Winchester, uh, Nick, Ed, um, Nick Frost's character, Ed, the character, the, the conversation that they have is exactly what happens. Like they have a bite at the king's head, you know, Philip bites, you know, gets bitten, you know, a couple at the little princess go, they go to pick up the couple, Dave and Diane with Liz at her place. And bang, we stagger back here for shots, which they imitate zombies to get through the rest of the horde and end up firing the gun that's above the bar at the Winchester. So like, if you, if you look at it that way, and everybody you meet at the beginning, like throughout the whole opening montage, you see later as zombies. Like it's brilliant. Every single character and background person that you meet comes back as a zombie. Mm-hmm. It's it's brilliant. So obviously Mel Brooks doesn't do that, but like it's just all in the approach of the filmmaker. But I will give them both credit for their extremely witty dialogue. They both, you know, just really pile it on. And it is so smart and so uh, quotable. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's and I think that's the key. I mean, like, how often are we like, you know, we we quote Mel Brooks films. uh, We were constantly quoting Edgar Wright films. Yeah, like you know, like it's just it just is what it is. Because they're memorable. It's. I will say, I will give the edge to Edgar Wright because his soundtracks are fucking amazing. Yes, the scores to those movies are just awesome. Malbrex doesn't rely on that. I mean, the Spaceballs song, very catchy. Uh, the Men in Tight song, very catchy. Transylvanian Lullaby, which you will hear in the uh, after when we come back from the second break, very memorable. But they're not like, you know, it's not like banger after banger after banger that you get in Edgar Wright movie, especially Baby Driver, which isn't a parody, but it has a hell of a soundtrack. Mm. So, any other uh, parody films you want to talk about, or you want to move on to uh, the main discussion and take a quick break? I think right now is a great time to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to be talking about the characters from Young Frankenstein. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. It's coming! 
from the deep, dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. Life, you hear me? Give my creation life. Sky means business. Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. Peter Boyle as the monster. <laughs> Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh! <laughs> Horace Leachman as Frau Blucher. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. What do you want to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Kill the monster! See Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein, personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks in black and white. No offense. And we are back. That, of course, being the trailer I alluded to earlier, talking about uh, Mel Brooks narrating it. And uh, a couple of uh, couple of lines that you did not see in the theatrical release. And, again, lines that I have never heard uh, I've only seen the one version of this film. I don't know if there's deleted scenes kicking around out there. We have to look at the... Uh, we have the Mel Brooks Blu-ray set with uh, eight movies in it. Well, I mean, there are deleted scenes kicking around out there because the cast and everybody had such a good time filming this that once principal photography was set, almost finished, like Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder, they both wrote this. Uh, they kept writing more stuff, creating more scenes for them to star in because they were having such a good time filming. See, I like that. Um, but I just what I was going to say is I haven't seen them i haven't found them so i'm hoping that maybe on the uh the things that the the set that we have uh right. maybe. and so like obviously because of that it took well, a say, lot of effort to edit the film as a maybe those are on there yeah maybe oh yeah it's i think with anything that mel brooks does anytime you get a whole bunch of comedians together or a bunch of people who are working on a comedy it's going to be an absolute monster to edit. You know, like there's the, uh, from what I understand, we, we, we talked about this, I think, a couple of years ago about how Anchorman has like a movie's worth of improvisation just by Will Ferrell. You know, I think one of the most difficult movies to edit, if I were to think right off the top of my head, because of all the improvisation and all the extra stuff, probably Caddyshack. I mean, you have Chevy Chase and Rodney Dangerfield and Bill Murray, like, all on the same set. Yeah, good luck with that. But, so you said you watched this uh, within the last 15 years when we first uh, started dating. Yes. You hadn't seen it. Uh, I've been watching it for about 35 years uh, intermittently. Uh, it's one of those that never, ever, ever gets old. Like, you know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter. It's almost like you're you're kind of, you know what's going to happen, but you're sitting there and you're waiting with bated breath. It's like Just slipping like, like, on like, a nice, comfortable pair of shoes. Yeah, like you, you know what to expect. You know what's going to happen. But at the same time, you're just, you're waiting for that dopamine fix to hit. You know what I'm kind of surprised that they don't have is like shadow casts for Mel Brooks movies. That would be amazing. I'm sure it could be done. Um, 
I'm not sure exactly, you know, the the work that would have to go into it, but I'm sure there could be something done for I mean, they do it for Beetlejuice, so I mean, why not? You know, obviously Rocky Horror is the most famous one, but they do it for other films as well. So, I'm sure there's there's stuff that could be done for that. So, these characters are obviously based on all of the uh not all of, but many of the characters from uh Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus um the whole uh you know creating a creature like this is supposed to be the grandson or the great grandson of Victor Frankenstein who created the original monster and apparently they have a family history like somebody will move into the castle and create a monster because the town folks are like you know Every time they come in, like, you know, they build a monster and, like, something crazy happens and, you know, kind of like the, uh, every time they make a Robin Hood movie, they burn our village down, you know, so his family name precedes him. Um, he, uh, he has, uh, you know, a negative influence, but this Frankenstein is different because he doesn't believe in what had been done uh, by his grandfather. He doesn't think it's real. He's a grounded man of science. Well, he is a professor at the American Medical Institute. Yes. And And he goes by uh, Frederick Frankenstein. He's trying to distance himself from the Frankenstein name as much. Frankenstein, Frankenstein. (laughs) He literally says... Steins and Steins and ah, oi. He literally says, you know, I'd rather be remembered for my own small contribution to science than my accidental relation relation to a famous kook. Like, and he gets very uh, animated. We'll use that word. That's a fun word because we hear that a lot. Um, talking about his grandfather's work and gets to the point where he stabs himself in the thigh with the uh, with the scalpel. One of the funniest gags in the film, because he just kind he does it and he just kind of looks at it, and then just crosses his leg and dismisses class. Like, <laughs> so good, so good. And one of the things, we'll we'll get to it, but like, there's such interesting comedy, uh, and it's stuff that Mel Brooks uses over and over again. Like when we're introduced to Igor. Marty Feldman, brilliant, brilliant uh, actor. And apparently that part was written specifically for him. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, it makes sense. Makes so much sense. You can't imagine, you can't picture anybody else in that role. Right. And they even, um, you know, he was very adamant that this have the feel and the aesthetic of an old you know, Universal Monsters movie. Well, he fought tooth and nail for it to be filmed in black and white. Right. They and wanted to, to colorize. They well, wanted to well, shoot it in color. Because and he then... wanted, yeah, well, and because he didn't want any colorized anything out there of this film. He wanted it strictly black and white because he was afraid that if they shot it in color with the intentions of making it black and white after, that the studio would kind of. You know, release say, it. Oh, well, yeah, well, you, you know, already have it. Why do all this work? Do, right. Um, so he fought for that. Yes. And uh, they used a lot of the same the sets. The same props. Yeah. yeah. So uh, funny story. 
actually, in my notes here, when Mel Brooks was preparing for this film, he discovered that Ken Strickfadden, who'd made the elaborate electrical machinery for the lab sequences in the Universal Frankenstein films, was still alive and living in the L.A. area. Brooks visited him and found that he had stored all the equipment in his garage. Brooks made a deal to rent the equipment and gave him the screen credit he didn't receive for the original films. So, like, Which is glorious. If, if things look familiar... It's because they are. It's the same stuff. Right. It's the original props, which I think lends... I think it, mo- Well, it it's supposed it, to be that right, it's his right, grandfather. Right. But, but that's just the thing. It, it really lends itself to the authenticity. It brings you... It really pulls you into the story and makes you believe it. Like, okay, I... I, I yeah, I see that. And it's, and it's believable. Like, even if you think about the timeline, like, if his grandfather's doing shit in the 30s... You know, he probably already had a kid, you know, a young kid, and then his kid gets older, you know, and has a kid of his own. And now here, 40-ish years later, we have Dr. Frankenstein, who is young because he's not married yet. So, you know, you can assume. And certain things, like, he definitely takes liberties, like, somehow he takes a train to wherever he is in America to Transylvania and they all speak German for some reason. That tracks. Yeah, you know, you can take that a train. Sense, yeah. yeah. Um and you know, before you're like, well, you know, how do you know he didn't take a train to the bus to the, the airport or to the, you know, boatyard or whatever. It's like because the same couple is in the back having the same conversation that they had in English in German and the conductor or the ticket taking guy the train usher, I don't know what they call him, train minion, uh, rail dude. That sounds about right. Uh, he is the same guy announcing all the stops. So, you know, it's it's the same people. So we have Gene Wilder, um, actually a couple of years before he played um, Willy Wonka. But I believe after... I have to look it up real quick, but I believe this is after Blazing Saddles, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, Blazing Saddles in 1974. So the same year, they both came out in 1974, which is wild to me. But Gene is wilder. Oh, I see what you did there. But yeah, the so we have uh, Gene Wilder. We have Peter Boyle as the creature. We have uh, Marty Feldman, who was also in um, the incredible uh, silent movie, which is another great parody I didn't mention I was going to because it has one spoken word throughout the entire film, and it's by Marcel Marceau, the famous mime. And the line is, you know, they're trying to get him to do something, and he says, no. And then Marty Feldman, what do he say? I don't know. I don't speak French. Like, but it's all the the subtitle the title cards. So you have Gene Wilder as Frederick Frankenstein, Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth, Marty Feldman as Igor, Peter Boyle as the monster, Cloris Leachman as Frau Blucher, <laughs> Terry Gar as Inga. Those are our main players. Then we have Kenneth Mars who plays Inspector Kemp in one of my favorite Mel Brooks jokes. And again, it's a visual thing. And if you're not paying attention, you won't get it. 
but he's got an eye patch and a monocle, but the monocle goes over the eye patch. It's fucking brilliant. Like, there's even a part where he's yelling at somebody and the monocle falls out and he kind of like, it wasn't supposed to. So he kind of just like wipes it on his shirt and sticks it back into the, onto the eye patch. And it's like, that's so good. That's so good. It's like in Robin Hood Men in Tights where they have the exit signs in the castle. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so those are our, our main, our main people. Um, obviously there's other people, you know, there's townsfolks and constables and whatnot, but those are our main players, the people with the most lines and everything. And his great grandfather dies and leaves him the castle, which always kind of threw me because it's like his grandfather died before his great grandfather. And I, that would also track that his father is dead unless his father didn't become a doctor. I know I'm probably reading too much into it. I think you are. But because he's a doctor, he gets invited to Transylvania, which is in Romania. And he is given this castle and another one of the most amazing jokes. And again, if you're not paying attention, like when I was a kid, I never got this. When Frau Vlucher is <laughs> letting them, you know, guiding them through the castle and she's like, stay close to the candles because the stairway can be treacherous. The candles are never lit. Like, she's holding a candelabra with three candles, and she's like, watch out, stay close to the candle. They're never lit. And it's fucking brilliant. And I love it so much. And they don't call attention to it. It's just one of those, you have to be paying attention, you have to be watching it. And it's like, why is this just normal and okay to them? Like, it's so good. It's, uh... His films are are just a, a master class in camp. Figure uh, a, uh, one that like, just popped like into my head. Physically and the way it's written and Rabbi Tuckman, when he's in uh, in Mel Brooks himself as Rabbi Tuckman in Robin Hood Men in Tights, when he doffs his cap, like the two curly hairs that are on the side, the, indicating he's an Orthodox Jew, they're attached to his hat, like. They're not mm-hmm. part of his hat. They're yeah. attached to his hat. You know, like, that's brilliant. You know, Joan Rivers yelling at Daphne Zuniga in Spaceballs, and she's got the Princess Leia haircut, like the, the hair bun, well, yeah, and she looks, takes, takes it the... off their fucking headphones. <laughs> like, so good. Like, so good. Or when Dark Helmet is yelling, he's trying to communicate with the guys that are combing the desert, and... He's got a megaphone, and he uses the megaphone to talk to Colonel Sanders, who's right next to him. But then when he's trying to talk to the guys that are out in the desert, he just, he just yells. yells. He doesn't use the megaphone. It's like that type of shit is so funny. Are we being too literal? No, you idiot. We were told to comb the desert, and that's what we're doing. Then you got the one guy with the pick. Oh, God. So Igor meets Frederick, and we get another classic Mel Brooks joke walk this way and apparently they all thought it was stupid and they were going to cut it and that last minute they decided not to and apparently that bit is what inspired Aerosmith's walk this way yeah and then you get the same the same joke but to a greater degree 
in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Walk this way, and he like throws his hair back. And I think it's also up. in um, the history, the history of the of world, world, part, part one. one. Yeah, um, yeah, it's oh, like those jokes. So when he meets Igor, and again he he's like he's like you know he meets he's like Doctor Frankenstein. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's Frankenstein. I see. Do you also say Froderick? No, it's Frederick. Why isn't it Froderick Frankenstein? It's not. It's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. Well, they told me. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Like, he's, like, getting back at him because he's pissed off that, like, Uh no one told him that the name was changed. He's like, my grandfather used to work for your grandfather. Of course, the rates have gone up. It's like the first thing he says. He's like, oh, let me help you with your bags. And he goes to grab the heavy one and he's like nope takes the little one and then does the walk this way but right before that he's like I don't you know I don't mean to embarrass you but I'm a rather brilliant surgeon perhaps I can help you with that hump what What hump hump? like (laughs) it's just like well, and, and one of the best ad-libs of, and, and of course, a lot of ad-libbing takes place in this oh, film. Oh, yeah. Um, some of the best parts of this film are, are were ad-libbed. Uh, the moving of the hump from one side to the next, to the other, to the other. Like, it just, Which that, again, that, was, that, was, that was all Marty Feldman. Richard Lewis in... Uh... As as Prince John in Robin Hood Men in Tights, wasn't you a mole on on the other side? I have a mole, like <laughs> fucking brilliant, like. And I only remember Richard Lewis from the Boku commercials that were supposed to be like the grown up juice boxes because they were bigger than like little kid juice boxes, and they didn't have straws. They just had like little foil pull tabs. You just peel it right off and drink it. Like those were supposed to be like the big things. Uh, and they never caught on, but that's what I remember him from. I couldn't tell you anything else he was in, but I do remember getting him confused for Dennis Miller quite a bit when I was a kid, but neither here nor there. So we also get one of the one of my favorite jokes, and one of the first ones I remember my dad quoting when they're in the... And I didn't get this, the roll in the hay thing. Roll, roll, roll. Oh, would you like to have a roll in the hay? Which I didn't knew, I had no idea was a euphemism for sex, which I wouldn't have known about anyways because I was like six or seven when I saw this. But when they hear the uh, the the wolf howl, and she's like, werewolf. And he's like, werewolf? And Marty Feldman goes, there. there. What? <laughs> there, wolf. There, castle. Why are you talking like that? I thought you wanted to. Oh, I don't want to. Yeah, suit yourself. I'm easy. Like, that had, like, what? Like, <laughs> it's so weird. But I remember my dad quoting it and laughing. So I laughed because I was like, oh, that, that must be funny. Like, and it fucking is. Like, that whole thing when he's helping Inga, Terry Gar's character, out of the, out of the, the cart and... Uh, Igor is knocking on the door with the giant knockers. He's like, what? Knockers? Oh, thank you, doctor. Like, <laughs> then he's not talking to you. Like, oh, 
like it's so brilliant and they play off each other so incredibly well it's the physical comedy of Marty Feldman coupled with the manic fucking energy of Gene Wilder and apparently they had to multiple takes they had to use multiple takes because Gene Wilder could not keep his composure because he broke character so often laughing hysterically at what was going on around him because everybody was just so good. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame him. Like, there's a similar story, but like similar, but like completely opposite where during the filming of Caddyshack, Rodney Dangerfield thought he was fucking up. And he went to the director. He's like, oh, you know, this is so bad. Like, nobody's reacting to any of my jokes. And they're like, Rodney, you're fucking killing it. Everybody's dying, but they can't start laughing because it'll ruin the take. Like, everybody is like, like, look around. Like, everyone's just, like, holding in laughter and, like, their faces are all red because he's just fucking killing it. But he's all worried that because everyone's not laughing and joking and having a great time, it's like... Forgetting you're not on stage, you're not in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there's a whole crew there filming you, but like, you are, like, they can't laugh and react and clap because it'll ruin the take. Right. And, you know, because these guys, I mean, if you go through, like, you have, there's always like, you know, especially in a comedic duo, you know, you have the, the comic relief and the straight guy. Terry Gar. And Cloris Leachman, for the majority of this movie, are the straight men. Mm-hmm. Um, like, after Frederick and Inga have sex, she's like, she'll be here any minute. I suggest you put on a tie. Like, it's fucking hilarious because they're both naked. You know, obviously under a sheet because it's a PG movie. Um but like her quiet dignity and grace that she tries to carry herself with despite the fact that every time someone says her name the horses go nuts and you have no idea why and it's never explained um and even anything that sounds like her name like when uh Marty Feldman is going in he's the last one in right before the uh right before uh, the the they get led up to their rooms. He goes inside and just sticks his head out and just goes ha and the horses freak out. <laughs> and he has that big smile and his big fucking eyes, like looking off into it. Like even that, like damn your eyes. Too late. Like <laughs> that fucking line was amazing. Like there's so much good that they did. when the creature is strangling Frederick. And they're playing charades. Shed a give! Like, <laughs> oh! Like, no one else could have pulled off, like, the the mad scientist energy and that look that Gene Wilder had with his hair. And as the movie progresses, his hair gets frequently when he's in the lab his hair is wild and out there and mad sciency but when he's entertaining or you know when he's meeting with inspector kemp um his hair is his hair reflects 
his emotional state. Mm-hmm. It's brilliantly done. It's, you know, it's definitely, uh, he's playing off of the original, uh, you know, it's alive type thing. Like, and there's some great, Mel Brooks does this a lot, but there's some great fourth wall breaking where a character will look directly at the camera addressing the audience and just like, you know, quiet dignity and grace. Or, you know, in Robin Hood Men in Tights where Carrie always just kind of looks at the camera and just goes, huh. Like, can you believe these fucking guys? Like, it's, it's such brilliant filmmaking. And... I think today we rely too much on like juvenile humor, you know, like fart jokes and dick jokes and people getting hurt, you know, like, oh, this guy got hit in the balls. Oh, this guy fell down the stairs. Oh, you know, Tyson punched, you know, Zach Galifianakis in the face. Like some of it can be funny, but like there's not that subtlety. And, you know, I know people are like, oh, well, you can't do this. It's like, you can do anything like anybody who says oh you couldn't make this movie today it's like have you seen movies today Mm. like are you aware that movies like just because you grew up liking this type of stuff doesn't mean they couldn't make it today I just think that there's not a desire to make stuff the way that Mel Brooks made stuff probably because you don't want to be accused of like ripping him off you don't want to be accused of like it's like oh yeah this was great when i saw it the first time when it was called you know young frankenstein there's just something about this group of actors in this particular film that you can't replicate it you know what i mean like even if you did it shot for shot and you tried to bring back you know or or insert some of the actors from today that you think could be a reasonable like counterpoint to the actors from 1974 they just they don't have that chemistry and camaraderie and and like the the way they work together I know it's hard to explain because it's like who was who was Gene Wilder married to? Oh, is that an actual? I'm asking uh, oh, you. Yeah, that's not rhetorical. No, no, that's, no. Oh no, Gilda Radner. And Gilda Radner was on Saturday Night Live. She was Roseanne, and, Rosanna Dana. And all they did, like, th- and and they started in uh, Haunted Honeymoon together. But like, well, what I'm saying is like. That's the crew that Gene Wilder would hang out with. You know, John Candy, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy. Like, this is who he's hanging out with. Fucking Richard Pryor. How many Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movies are there? Like, Jesus, like, they were making movies into the 90s together. You know, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, Blue Streak. Like, these this was such a tight-knit comedy community. Like, you could try to do that today with, you know, I don't know, like Seth Meyers and, you know, uh, John Mulaney uh, and, and Pete Davidson. But, like, it's, those it's guys not, can't yeah, do the same thing. It's not the same. Like, it's not like, the same comedy. It's not the same. There was... Uh, there's comedy way is different. much... Way more cocaine. And that was just 
you know, Jim Belushi, like John Belushi. John yeah, Belushi. John Belushi. I, I mean, those are the people that everybody was hanging out with, like those high energy types of folks, you know, Martin Short and 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 who the fuck Garrett Wilson and Jane Curtin. You know, like those were some amazing comedy troops that you just you couldn't do you couldn't do that today because it was such a different environment. It's such a different environment. Not because, you know, people would get, you know, offended by the, the content. I think it's just, it's a totally different generation of actors who don't have that same style of comedy. Well, not only that, like not to get into this and I'm just going to kind of gloss over this, but social media has changed everything. Social media has changed what we think is funny, has changed how we approach certain things, has has changed, you know, just just everything. Even, you know, every, stupid, simple, everyday stuff has been completely changed because of the existence of social media. Um, you know, and, and TikTok especially has it's is like the vehicle that's changing a lot of things, you know. Um I I hate hate the fact that uh influencer is now a job that young kids can aspire to be but anyways that's neither here nor there that's not what we're talking about um but anyways you know so it's it's like the whole you know social dynamics have have changed so much since you know the the 60s and the 70s that you know certain things just can't be replicated because and even things when have they, come way too far and when they try like i'll use you know kind of your argument and a take on a classic film, you know, that tried to do the same, you know, the Terminator thing. You know, we've talked about this, the Terminator thing and the, the, the Halloween thing, where they take characters, uh, in many cases, the same actor, but not always uh, playing that character. Like the newest Texas Chainsaw film, where Leatherface shows up on a, a tour bus and everybody pulls out their phones and one guy's like, you're going to get canceled, bro. And like he just slaughters everyone. That wouldn't have happened in '76 because it's a totally or '73. I'm sorry, it's a totally different dynamic. It's a totally different social structure um, in society. So movies have to be different because they're playing to a different audience. You know, and before we wrap up this conversation, I do, I mean, we would be completely remiss if we did not talk about the brilliance that is Peter Boyle as Frankenstein's the monster. monster. The monster. This, the monster. Um, Who are you that you order these people around? I am the monster. Yes, I, I can see that you as a monster. Yeah, uh, just absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, for a character that has so few actual speaking lines, it's mostly just grunts and yeah. which is one of the most brilliant <laughs> fucking scenes. Well, and I guess like they didn't know uh, where to take that. I, 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 again, that's another one of those brilliantly ad libbed scenes. Just improvisation. They had no idea where to take that scene. They didn't know exactly what to do. I guess Gene Wilder was like team musical number and Mel Brooks was like this is kind of stupid and then Peter Boyle steps in and does what he did does what he did what he done uh, wow did. I did what he did and um it's just it it's turned iconic. iconic yeah it's iconic it is so good and you know 
his approach to the monster was brilliant because he wasn't necessarily mimicking you know the 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 Frankenstein's monster that we're uh familiar with he was kind of making it his own especially where like and again this is one of those and Madeline Kahn uh calls attention to it when she refers to him as zipper neck because like you know they had the classic bolts in his head and then the the scar across his forehead where they sewed his brain back in but like having the zipper on the neck like that's a Mel Brooks comedy touch like that's just so good um and he has an enormous schwanstuka schwanstuka well that just goes without saying but no he the the lines that he does get like are delivered so well when he's like I decided that if I could not inspire love which was my greatest wish I would instead inspire fear like he's really leaning into like Peter Boyle is so good in this role like in every aspect because what most people don't realize about Frankenstein's original monster because what they are so used to seeing is that caricature that, you know, Karloff portrayed, you know, the flat head with the bolts in the neck and, like, the really sunken-in eyes, is it? his creature was more akin to uh, Robert De Niro's portrayal uh, in the late 90s, early... I think it was late... mid to late 90s when, the, when that Frankenstein movie came out. The creature was scarred and ugly and... The only the, the 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 biggest difference is he was very articulate, well spoken, could read, was intelligent, uh, because they used a you know a brain that was not abnormal, but it got changed and morphed along the way to make it make him a monster. You know what I mean? Like the original text is him. Uh, like he floats away on an iceberg. Like it's weird. Like he doesn't get trapped in a windmill and killed by the villagers with pitchforks. He he's very intelligent. It's it's odd, but you know the 1930s movies have given us. Like we were discussing when we when we watch this. Like you see the mummy or the 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 creature. Uh, when they walk with their arms straight out like they're zombies. Well, the reason why that happened, I forget if it was the mummy or, or Frankenstein in the, it, it, when it happened first, the re- because the, the, the monster was blinded and it held its hands out in front of it so it could feel like if it was going to bump into something. Mm-hmm. That was the reason why it walked like. Now all monsters walk with their arms out like, you know, I'm this unarticulate, massive, you know, reanimated tissue it's because of that portrayal and like that's the stereotype that we see and the ending of young frankenstein gives us that uh articulate monster so i think that's a pretty good spot to uh kind of wrap things up if you have not seen this do yourself a favor it's on hbo max or max now whatever the fuck uh do yourself a favor watch it uh, it's phenomenal. If you have seen it, maybe it's time for a rewatch. Uh, maybe, you know, you uh, listen to us quoted enough that you're like, you know what? I got to throw this in or I'm going to stream it, whatever. 
But uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we have a new battle, and we have a big announcement, and uh, we'll be right back. That, of course, being uh, the Transylvania Lullaby, uh, which I didn't know was the name of that uh, that song that is said in the, the film to be in the blood of all Frankensteins in their creations um, until I went to look for it. But, yeah, um, I had no idea what it was. I just assumed it was the young Frankenstein theme because they play it repeatedly throughout the, the film. But, uh, yeah, we hope you uh, you enjoyed that. So... We, of course, now that we uh, are in a battle week, we have a new battle for you. And when we have a new battle... <gasps> we have to play the battle theme! It's So, what we have for you is, uh, well, Ash, just take it away. You, you have it all in your notes there. So today we are throwing down He Blinded Me With Science, Battle of the Man-Made Creatures. Which mad scientific creation has what it takes to best its competition and be the last creature standing? You can choose from Frankenstein's Monster, created by Dr. Frankenstein. Mr. Hyde, accidentally created by Dr. Jekyll. Rocky, created by Dr. Frank and Furter. Or the Brundlefly, created accidentally by Dr. Seth Brundle. Yeah, and in that case is the only one who accidentally did it to himself. Dr. Jekyll, Henry Jekyll, created the alternate persona of Mr. Hyde, because he wanted to uh, indulge in vices, but without being frowned upon by high society. Think of it if kind of like Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter is a very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde character, where you know he hides his true nature and his true vices from the public. Uh, but when people find out about him, they're like, ooh, that's bad. And, of course, Seth Brundle. We went with the Cronenberg version of The Fly um, just because I think it's a little more horrific. Um, and the death is way, way, way worse. And the Brundle Fly has a little bit more of a powerful 
abilities that would keep him on par with uh, with the other creatures there. Um, so that that's I think that's a good um, that's a good battle. Uh, the guest special guest referee is uh, Doctor Doofenshmirtz, uh, and <laughs> it will be held in the top floor of Doofenshmirtz Evil Incorporated. That will be the battleground. <laughs> so Doofenshmirtz Evil Incorporated. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I don't really understand, but I fell down this hill and I got glue on my hands, and I got records on my fingers. Records on my fingers. I got records on my fingers, and I just can't stop. Don't stop. Can't stop. I got a platypus controlling me. What? I got a platypus controlling me. Now, let me sum it up. It was a strange set of circumstances. Strange set of circumstances. Well, I fell down this hill. Now, I got glue on my hands, and I got records on my fingers, and I just can't stop. Don't stop. Well, I would if I was able. There's a platypus controlling me. He's underneath the table. Yeah, so we'll have to talk about that at some point. <laughs> we did. No, but I mean, again, uh, like we'll have to revisit that. Do it again. That's um, real. Oh, that's re- the. Um, I forget the name of that episode. Which one? The the episode of Phineas and Ferb that we've seen the most. Oh, the Excaliburb. Excaliburb. Oh, that's that the is best, the best episode. That's the best of episode. And Ferb. It's like Excalibur and also Lord of the Rings and also, um. The sword and the stone, like it's amazing. Um, I am the lady of the puddle. Good thing she wasn't the lady what of the hot coffee. What are you doing? Um, okay, so, that, that's another episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, it's getting late too. Um, so we've got all that stuff together. We're getting ready for uh, all this stuff coming up this week. But we have wine and science this week, and I went with a science fact that. Um, I thought was the most appropriate for this particular episode. So in the 1950s, there was a scientist named Vladimir Demikov who was, um, he was a Soviet scientist and you can look up his work. It's on YouTube, uh, but don't do it if you are squeamish, but if you're very interested in weird fucking science, then this is the guy you want to look up. Vladimir Demikov, uh, he was able to do head transplants. He successfully grafted the head of a small dog onto a larger dog so that both dogs... So basically he just added an extra head to this dog. Uh, They did a lot of dog experiments. It was very cruel and inhumane like there's even a video of a just a dog's head that he kept alive for like three weeks like no it wasn't three weeks it was shorter than it was like three days because it couldn't eat or drink um but it responded to stimuli it was alive for days like he did a brain transplant in a monkey like it's some so he was kind of like a real life dr moreau he was more a, he, moreau re, was more like a genetic splicing guy cuz he had like crossed species and then crossed those with men so he was more genetic this guy was like let me take a piece off of this and stick it onto that and see what happens he was a crueler Dr. Frankenstein. Like, 
had he been born in Germany and lived there 10 years prior, he would have been an even worse Joseph Mengele. Mm. Like, that's what he was. But he was a Soviet scientist. And, but, I mean, his work was revolutionary. Uh, and some of the stuff that we have we're able to do today is because of his research but it was done in a very horrific and macabre way back uh 70-ish years ago so that's my science fact today is uh the head transplant pioneer uh vladimir demikov yeah it's a fucking weird one what do you have? Yeah, so on a happier note, we're going to talk about booze. Um, yeah, so we were on vacation last week, and Patsy had uh, purchased this bourbon, this 121-proof bourbon, $100 bottle, um, good stuff, but really strong stuff, uh, a, f- a few months ago. And we've been, you know, it's not, it, it's fine to drink neat on its own. It's fine on the rocks. But, you know, we, we've been slowly, very slowly uh, going through it. So I was like, you know what? We were at a wedding earlier this year, and one of the cocktails they were serving were these maple old fashions and it was just it was just fantastic it was delicious we could not get enough of it so i said hey why don't we use that bourbon that super strong bourbon that 121.8 proof oh excuse me 121.8 proof i I forgot the point eight sorry about that um why don't we take this extremely strong bourbon and why don't we make maple old fashions with it let's have some old fashions at the beach you know sun setting little cocktail perfect so i get the stuff to make it and i got you know so we obviously we had the bourbon got the maple syrup uh some oranges because you peel the rind and then you put the rind in it and stuff um i got orange bitters so you can use aromatic bitters but i just had a feeling that the orange might work a little bit better um, you know, and a cocktail cherry. And so I, I made old fashions and they they were they were good, but oh my god, they were strong. They, they were they were really strong. And it's like, you know, I, I kind of feel like we need something to to cut through this a little bit more. So uh we tried ginger ale and the ginger ale was fine. It was you know, it tasted okay. And then I remembered, oh, excuse me. We brought with us the Down East Ciders, uh, Cider Donut, which is, it's it's in season now, kids. It's almost fall. Um, we brought a four pack of those and I was like, let me, let me try it. So I came up with this drink and uh, it is just absolutely delicious. So hear me out. This is the recipe. You're going to want one to two ounces of bourbon. So if you want it, you know, if your bourbon is really strong like ours and you want to kind of hold back a little bit, I suggest using an ounce. If your bourbon is just the normal shelf variety bourbon, then, you know, you may want to, you may want to put two ounces in there. Um, 
a, a, a generous. So I ended up probably putting about a tablespoon of maple syrup in in each beverage. Um, now, again, it was because the bourbon was so incredibly strong. So you could probably get away with a teaspoon or two. But if you're feeling adventurous, go for the tablespoon. Um I, I still used my cocktail cherry. I still used the rind of an orange and uh, took the rind and um, rubbed it along the edge of the glass first and then garnished with it later. Uh, and I used orange bitters, just a couple of dashes. And then you fill up the rest of your glass with the, like I said, we used cider donut um, uh, apple cider. Um, <laughs> that's the word apple cider. Yeah. The, uh, the hard cider. Uh, and it was so good. It was so it's honestly because you, you get, so obviously it's appley because of the apple cider and then you get the maple syrup, you get the bourbon, you know, the, the, the cherry. And I put a little of that cherry juice in it too. It just sweetens it up a little bit. It's fine. Do it. Enjoy yourself. Indulge a little bit. Um, but then you get a little bit of the brightness of the citrus too, which just kind of cuts through some of the sweetness and it is so good. So good. So that's how we drank those. And it was, it was, it was fabulous. Um, I will probably make some more at some point, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't really have a name. Well, I don't know. Maple bourbon. Apple new old cider. fashioned. Yeah, a new old, a new old fashioned. There we go. It's a new old fashioned. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was. The haute couture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was delicious. I, I couldn't get enough of it and was really impressed with myself for thinking on my toes like that. So No, that was good. It it tasted really good. I liked it a lot. Um, I think we need to try it with less powerful rum. I mean, um, well, because we bourbon. didn't try it with the rum. No, we should try the it with bourbon. Yes. Bourbon. Um, bourbon. Uh, yeah, so it, it was it was really good though, and I, it's if you're looking for something a little different, if you like bourbon or you know whiskey or what have you, and are looking for a, a different kind of mixed drink cocktail, and you know what, it was kind of the perfect you know because we're we're we were in Provincetown, we were on the beach, you know the it was kind of like the we're in the last few hot days of summer, like really hot days of summer uh, before we get to the really hot days of fall that we've been getting apparently the past few years um but anyways it's a good kind of like seasonal transition drink you know going from summer to fall you get some of those nice fall flavors while like the citrus and the cherry and everything kind of adds a little bit of brightness you get a little bit of that summer flavor too it just it's just i'm just rambling at this point but it works it really works so a, a new old-fashioned try it tell me if you like it and uh before we go uh we do have uh, an announcement um, a really big announcement. Couple of big announcements. So this Saturday at ten uh, noon at the Hilton Garden Inn in Worcester, uh, my film will be uh, will be premiering, and you know several of the cast members will be there and crew, and um, we're very excited to see it. But we woke up on Tuesday of last week. Uh, I got an email and I looked. To find out that we have been nominated for two awards, uh, best local short, 
best local horror local short. horror short. Yes, and best comedy short uh, because this is a campy horror comedy. Um, so we will find out this Saturday. Uh, the award ceremony, I believe, is at eight. Uh, 8 or 8.30, so we'll find out this Saturday whether or not we take home any hardware. Uh, there's also the Spirit Awards, which are given to the uh, to people who uh, exemplify the spirit of independent art and creation. Um, so hopefully we get to uh, add another trophy to the case next to the Scaricon and the Amalgamania Podcast and Entertainment Awards. Um, this would be huge. Uh, I was hoping that we would get nominated. I didn't expect it, but I was really, really hoping. And now, um, this is this is just huge. This is amazing. I I I don't even know how I feel about it. Like I'm excited, but like I can't believe that I'm up against some of these um, really well-known filmmakers. Uh, but. If you want to get a chance to check out the trailer, we'll leave a link in the in the show notes. But you can give us a follow. We just started our new Magenta Manners Productions uh, YouTube channel. So if you go Magenta Manor Productions, you can find us. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Watch the uh, watch the trailer. We also have the oh excuse me. We also have the Magenta Manor uh, Facebook group now. So give us a like and a follow over there. You're going to see more and more stuff. Uh, we have the social media that you put up. We have is it is Instagram that we have going. Yep. So we have we have the Facebook page, and we have Instagram as well. So just all Magenta Manor Productions. Just search and you'll find it. Yep. So just look for the hot pink castle. There will be uh, there will be a uh, the trailer is up there. The first trailer. Uh, after this weekend, the second trailer is going to go up so people can kind of check out the two trailers. I'm going to potentially do a third because I've been getting some quotes from uh, some some actor people that you may or uh, no, you've heard on this show before. Uh, I've reached out to a few people, so we're going to get some quotes that will be on the poster. If you are at uh, either Shauna Shea this week, uh, the, on this Saturday... Or you will be at uh, you will be at Happenstance Horror Fest Monster Expo. Come by the uh, 508 table, 508 Productions, because we will have uh, posters, signed posters. Some of the cast and crew will be there as well. Um, you know, Ashes and myself will be there. Also, the short is playing at Happenstance. Well, yeah, so it was, will be uh... as well as the premiere, the world premiere of another film that I I worked on, uh, and I'm very uh, excited to be in the credits. Uh, Justin Selim's Sanguinary, which that was so much fun to work on. It was a lot of work because it was super hot out, but that was a lot of fun, and I got some amazing behind the scenes pictures from that. That. Uh, yeah, it looks, it just looked amazing when we were shooting it. I can't wait to see what the final product uh, comes out to be. So I think with uh, that being said, we, we will, will see you, you next Thursday. Thursday.